What's up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Sports Talk Buffalo. Thank you for making me part of your week, this week and every week. With the NHL trade deadline coming up on Monday, February 24th, I thought it would be a good idea to talk about some of the trades the Sabres missed out on and a trade the Sabres could potentially still be in on. Also in the first segment, I'm going to talk about the overall state of the Buffalo Sabres these past six games. Also coming up on this podcast in segment number two, we're going to talk about the previous two games for the UB Bulls men's basketball team. So stick around and let's have some fun. Before we start this podcast, I want to take a quick time out to say thank you to everyone who has listened to me and continues to listen to me on a weekly basis. Remember, if you like what you're hearing, I want you to share it with your friends, your family, your coworkers, or anybody you know that enjoys sports talk about Buffalo. Let them know that they can hear me on any of the major podcasting websites, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and of course, on Anchor. If you want to contact me at all, you can get at me at my email, which is sportstalkbuffalo at yahoo.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at sportstalkbuff1. That's sportstalkbuff1 on Twitter to find out the latest news and notes from the show and also my opinions on a lot of the things that are going on in and around sports in general. Again, thank you all for listening. So let's keep this podcast growing and keep the ball rolling. So if you're ready, let's jump right into it. All right, let's jump right into things and start talking about the Buffalo Sabres and some of the trades they have potentially missed out on. This one really got to me. Botterill had just made this trade, had just traded away Marco Scandella a few weeks prior. I think it was six weeks prior. And he could only muster to get about a fourth round pick for Scandella. Meanwhile, he traded him to the Canadians. The Canadians proceeded to trade Marco Scandella to the St. Louis Blues and got a second and a conditional fourth round pick. It looks like Jason Botterill has lost yet another trade. Yes, I completely understand that St. Louis was a very needy team in terms of defense. I understand that they probably overpaid in terms of a second and fourth round pick. And the Canadians even kept half of Scandella's uh, salary on their books. I get all of that. But in the same sense, if a team like Montreal is able to turn around and get a second and fourth round pick for Marco Scandella, I don't seem to understand how come RGM has failed on the trade uh, market again and has gotten less than maybe market value for his defenseman. Now, I know the Sabres were kind of in a bad spot. He was up against it. He had a bunch of defensemen that were playing that probably shouldn't be playing. Realistically, he had a bunch of right-handed defensemen on the Buffalo Sabres. But in the same sense, this all happened because he waited too long to unload a defenseman. If a team came up to him and really made a halfway decent offer for any one of their right-handed defensemen, uh, leaving out maybe Yoki Haru, you know, I think Rasmus Dahlin too is a right-handed defenseman, but leaving these guys out of it, you have to listen to everyone or every one of your trade offers about anything, about any one of these players. 
realistically. Those are the only two defensemen that I would be 100% a no on getting rid of. I know people like Rasmus Ristolainen. I know people like Brandon Montour, but guess what? You need forward help, and he has failed to go and get forward help. The forward help that he decided to go get was Michael Froelich. That's the hardest person to be. Look, he might be a nice guy, but Michael Froelich is the hardest person to get excited about. That trade reminded me of way, uh, probably about 20 years ago, when the Sabres had a very, very cheap owner, and when they went out at the trade deadline and acquired Bob Corkum. That's the type of trade that we had. It is terrible. It is awful. It is stupid to get excited about. And he did it again. He turned that fourth round pick into Michael Froelich, into another UFA that we're not going to have past the season. So what did we get for Marco Scandella? We got nothing. We didn't even get, we literally got nothing. We didn't even get a pick for Marco Scandella as we turned around and traded away to for Michael Froelich. And now Michael Froelich's going to walk. And if he doesn't walk, Botterill should be fired anyway because Michael Froelich has done absolutely nothing for the Buffalo Sabres in his time here. He's got one goal and one assist. And let me tell you that one goal was into an empty net. So he has done quite possibly nothing for the Buffalo Sabres. Another trade that the Sabres missed out on is forward, top six forward, Tyler Toffoli. Now, Toffoli was traded to the Vancouver Canucks in exchange for Tim Schaller. And if if that name sounds familiar, it should. Tim Schaller played on the Buffalo Sabres briefly. He is a fourth-line player, and he has less than 10 points on the season. They also got the rights to Tyler Madden, who was a third-round pick, and a second-round draft pick and a conditional pick later on. Now, that is not a whole lot for somebody like Tyler Toffoli, who on the Sabres would be a huge upgrade over somebody like a Jimmy VC or an Evan Rodriguez or a Connor Sherry. All these guys, or a Zemgis Jurgensens, all of these guys have played top six minutes at some point this season. And missing out on somebody like a Tyler Toffoli, it really hurts the Buffalo Sabres in the long run. Now, I did a comparison trade, and and you guys can make up your own mind based on who the Sabres have in their organization, based on the skill set and, and things like that, that that Vancouver gave up in order to get Tyler Toffoli away from the LA Kings. This is the trade comparison that I came up with uh, for the Buffalo Sabres in order to get Tyler Toffoli. Now, the trade comparison for me is the Sabres would have had to trade Zemgis Jurgensen's who is better than Tim Shaler in terms of points and overall production, I believe, in his career. A conditional or a second-round pick. And I think the Sabres could have gotten a uh, shipped out a, condi- a conditional fifth-round pick instead of a conditional fourth-round pick simply because Jurgensen's is better than Tim Shaler. The Sabres would have also had to give up prospect Marcus Davidson. He was a second-round pick a few years back. He is uh, obviously still in the system for the Buffalo Sabres. He is a center slash wing. The same thing that Tyler Madden is for the, or previously for the Vancouver Canucks. So everything all in all that it's about the package that the LA Kings got for Tyler Toffoli. Would you make that trade for a guy of Tyler Toffoli's talents this year? Uh, I'll let you make up your mind in one second. This year Toffoli's got 18 goals. 
16 assists for 34 points in 58 games. That is an instant upgrade on your second line. Even if your second line consists of Marcus Johansson, Jeff Skinner, and Tyler Toffoli, instant upgrade for you. The only thing missing, obviously, is a second line center, and the Sabres could really, really be a competitive team in the NHL. Now, this, the one trade that the Sabres potentially did not miss out on and are rumored to still be in on and have interest in is Florida Panthers center Vincent Trocek. Now, Trocek is just 26 years old. He's having sort of a down year after, I believe, two years ago. He scored 31 goals and 75 points. And they're saying that in Florida, their playoff hopes are fading. They have too much talent. They need a little bit more grit, a little bit more toughness, because things are just not meshing the way that they thought that it would. Now, for Trocek, you know, like I said, the Sabres were, are in on the rumors. He has nine goals, 24 assists, and it, in as a minus three in 52 games. Uh, he has two more seasons left on his contract with an annual average value of $4.75 million. Now, in my opinion, who do you have to trade? It looks like Florida is looking for a defenseman. More specifically, a left-handed defenseman. Unfortunately, the Sabres don't have a, left, a lot of left-handed defensemen to give up. That would be of value. I mean, I would gladly trade you uh, Jake McCabe if you really wanted that and a second and third, you know, to get the deal done or something like that. But I really think that you need to trade somebody like Montour or Ristolainen and a second or third round pick in order to get somebody like Vincent Trocek away from the Florida Panthers. Now, is this enough to get Trocek away from the Panthers? And I think it is, especially with all of the, the trades that are going on right now. It seems as though there is a premium in the NHL in terms of defensemen. Not right-handed, not left-handed, just defensemen. And the Sabres should cash in on that market and go get Vincent Trocek. He could slot right in on your second line as your second line center. Give Dylan Cousins at least one more year. Even if Cousins makes the team out of training camp next year, which there's a very good possibility that he might, it gives him another year to develop and be maybe even a third line center for the Buffalo Sabres and not have the responsibility of being the number two guy in Buffalo on his shoulders at such a young age. We tried to do that again. I, I mentioned this before in the last podcast with Casey Middlesap, and we really hindered his development. Middlesap, by the way, is really starting to come on in the AHL. I believe the last time I tweeted out, he had 17 points in his last 20 games. He has 17 points in 25 games overall in the AHL, and he is really starting to come into his own. He's really starting to show why the Sabres picked him eighth overall in the draft three years ago, I believe. It was two, two years ago, I believe. But he's really coming on, coming into his own. And that's something that I want for Dylan Cousins. I want him to be able to kind of acclimate himself into the NHL and not be thrust into that 2C position right away. Now, the Sabres tonight had a chance to get to within six points of a playoff spot as poorly as they have been all season long, they could have closed the gap to just six points. Toronto lost and Montreal lost and the Sabres 
did what the Sabres do and disappointed all of us and got absolutely slapped by the Ottawa Senators. They lost three of four to the Senators this year. And in a game that the Sabres must, it was a like a must-win game for the Buffalo Sabres. They could have extended their win streak to four games. They gave up seven goals to the Ottawa Senators. They also gave up two power play goals. The Ottawa Senators were two for two on the power play, showing you just how bad the Buffalo Sabres penalty kill really, really is. And yet he keeps throwing the same guys out there over and over and over again with the same results. I want to I want to just throw this out there. Ottawa's got the 30th ranked power play in the NHL, and they just keep destroying the Buffalo Sabres game after game with that power play. It is a, a very sad thing to watch, and it is a very upsetting thing to watch here. I Like I said, in this game, the Sabres, they gave up a two-goal lead. They came out and scored two quick goals and then allowed four straight goals in the same period. They just scored two quick ones. Montour had two quick goals for the Buffalo Sabres, and then the Sabres turned around and gave up four unanswered goals. Poor defense, poor goaltending, poor power play for the Sabres, and the tide just completely turned at that point. Another thing I would like to mention is when Ottawa goes up 3-2 to two in a very short span, why, 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 why does Ralph Kruger not call a timeout to settle his guys down and get them refocused and get them back into the game? He continues, I've seen this time and again all season long, when a team, you're, you can see it, you can just see it on the ice, you can see it in their gameplay, you can see it overall, your team is rattled, your goalie is rattled, you need to call that timeout and settle them down. What's more important? A timeout at the end of the game, which I don't think you used anyway, or another goal. The Sabres could have it could have been a potentially completely different game had the Sabres went into the first period intermission at three to two instead of four to two and had to battle all the way back again. Now they came right out in the second period, scored a goal. Kyle Poso scored in his second straight game. The log line did what they were supposed to do. They provided a bunch of energy and they they contributed for the Buffalo Sabres and then you know they made it four to three and then of course Carter Hutton with his just piss poor rebound control kicks it out right to uh in Ottawa uh, Pajot and Pajot is able to deflect it in with his skate again his second goal or his first goal of the game he scored his second goal of the game later in the game on the power play but just an overall bad game it was bad defense it was bad goaltending and it was actually semi-decent offense. The Sabres scored four goals on the road and still lost the game. That cannot happen. Victor Olofsson scores again. He had a goal and an assist. Eichel had an assist. Rasmus Dahlin moves into second place all time in terms of teenage defensemen. In terms of points, he passes Ray Bork, the only person that's ahead of him now, is Phil Housley. And barring some sort of incredibly amazing run by Rasmus Dahlin. He will that's where he will finish in terms of all-time teenage scoring defenseman, which I got to tell you is not half bad considering all the guys that he is being accompanied with are Hall of Fame guys. Now I'm not saying Rasmus Dahlin is going to be a Hall of Famer, but if he continues on this trajectory, he will be a Hall of Famer. Now, again, the Sabres, you know, here's the thing. 
the Sabres are 4-2 and two in their last six games, including tonight's game that they got just completely meat-slapped by Ottawa. They're 4-2 and two in their last six games, including a three-game win streak, and they're winning at the absolute worst time. In my opinion, I don't think the Sabres have a shot at the playoffs. I think they're winning at the absolute worst time. I think they're giving false hope to Jason Botterill that these guys are can be the ones that can can pull off some miraculous thing and can be the core group of the Buffalo Sabres moving forward. And that scares me to no end. There's nothing on this team in terms of a lot of talent that I want to keep. A lot of the UFAs, I want to just walk away and walk into the sun. I don't want the Sabres to ever even entertain picking these guys back up. It's just, it gives me more pause to think that our completely inactive general manager, Jason Botterill, will be even more inactive and and less active on the telephones and really believe that his team that he has created is going to be good enough to win, maybe not this year, maybe next year with a piece or two. You know what? I, w- I want this team, I don't want it completely overhauled. You have some really, really solid pieces here, and, and Botterill's done a, a decent job bringing some of these pieces in here, but again, he is created a team that's not very good. And people are going to say, oh, well, there's a lot of players left over from old regimes. I'm going to tell you this, and this is going to surprise a lot of people if you don't already know this. With Zach Bogosian now being sus- or clearing waivers, sent down to the AHL, and now being suspended for not reporting to the AHL, the Sabres only have two players left that have not been either signed or traded for by Jason Botterill. Two players. Those two players are Kyle Ekposo and Rasmus Ristolainen. Those are the only two players that have not either been signed or traded for by Jason Botterill. This is Botterill's team, and people need to start recognizing that, and he needs to be held accountable for putting this piss-poor product on the ice time and again. It makes it even worse that Eichel is just continues his dominating season, his best season in the NHL. Eichel has points in or nine points in his last six, ten points in his last eight, and twelve points in his last ten games. In his last ten games, uh, Eichel has four goals and eight assists. And since coming back from injury, uh, Victor Olofsson continues his good rookie year. Obviously, he came back from injury. He had three goals and two assists in three games. Now, Carter Hutton has been playing or had been playing a ton better in the Sabres' four wins that they had in in Carter Hutton's last four starts. In Carter's last four starts, he had a save percentage of a .923, but in this game, he lets in a very weak first goal. He has poor rebound control and lack of defense again, and like I said, the Sabres lose 7-4. 7-4. One of those was an empty net goal, but it doesn't matter. The Sabres gave up six goals against to a team that is a, a bottom-feeding team. If the Sabres really... I, and I say bottom-feeder like the Sabres are not a bottom-feeder, but in all reality, if the Sabres win this game, they're just six points out of a playoff spot. Six points with like 20 games left. That's not out of the realm of possibility, folks. It could have been right there for the Sabres to take. It could have been right there for the Sabres to go up and grasp it and steal that last playoff spot away from Toronto and Montreal. But it doesn't look like the Sabres are up to the task. And it's really, really upsetting to see uh, a season like Jack Eichel's, a season that we haven't seen 
in from a Buffalo Sabre in a very long time, you know, really essentially be wasted. Jack Eichel is an absolute monster. He is a freak, and we are seeing that. Now, I didn't project Jack Eichel to be this good, and I am so glad he is. I am wrong. After watching him for the first few seasons, I figured he would probably hover right around 75 to like 85, maybe 90 points a game. But the fact that he is on a 100-point pace for this season, he has taken his game to a level that I didn't think he had. And it is just incredible to watch, so much fun to watch. And that's why there are t-shirts out there right now that says, I just came to watch Jack Eichel because there's not a whole lot left on this team that you really want to watch aside from how amazing Jack Eichel is. Now, we're going to talk about Jeff Skinner for a second. Jeff Skinner's goalless streak now sits at 22 games. Even though he did have an assist tonight against Ottawa, against the Ottawa Senators off a very good play, uh, he really battled down low, gets a shot on goal, the rebound comes out, and then he ties up a defender so that Montour can get the goal. Fantastic play by Jeff Skinner. And uh, people are asking, what needs to be done to get Jeff Skinner going? I say you signed him to a big contract. You signed him to a big contract, right? You signed him to $9 million for, what, eight years? Was it $72 million, something like that? You needed to pay him that much money after the season he had. I get it. I knew the Sabres were going to have to overpay to keep him. I was completely okay with that. What I'm completely not okay with is the usage of Jeff Skinner. Why is Marcus Johansson and Rasmus Ristolainen playing on the first line power play and Jeff Skinner is sitting on the bench? Why? Why are we doing this? Is it is it a vendetta against Jeff Skinner? Is there something like a feud going on between him and Ralph Kruger that he just doesn't put him out there in key and critical situations? Is it his his lack of defensive awareness? Look, I I get his lack of defensive awareness, but we're not paying him to be uh, fantastic on defense. We're paying him to score goals, and the fact that we're just burying him on the line with Evan Rodriguez and Connor Sherry is embarrassing. It's embarrassing and it's awful and it's it should it should never be done. The fact if my coach as a GM if my coach is burying a guy who previously scored forty goals on the third line with a couple of guys who should potentially be in the AHL, I would fire him. I would I would completely fire him and I would it, it's a cause for you to lose your absolute mind. Now again. Should you put him along with Jack Eichel? Hey, maybe not. I mean, it seems like Victor Olofsson and Jack Eichel have a real synergy together. But again, most people have a synergy when they play next to an absolute top five talent in Jack Eichel. But Victor Olofsson is a is a gifted sniper, and you're really seeing it in his first year, first full year in the NHL. But again, you really need to get Jeff Skinner going. Once you get Jeff Skinner going, the guy is an absolutely tremendous goal scorer. Once you get him off the snide, once he starts putting goals in, the Sabres will be such a much more deadly team. And that's just that's just a fact. You gotta be able to play Jeff Skinner in situations where he is going to be able to score goals the most. And right now, burying him on a third line with the likes of Edwin Rodriguez and Connor Sherry is something that is just not getting it done. But that's going to do it for the first segment of this podcast. Stick around for the next segment as we're going to talk about and break down the last two games for the UB Bulls men's basketball team. All right, let's kick off segment number two with talking about the UB Bulls versus the Toledo Rockets. 
The Bulls get a big win here. They win 83-67. to And I have to say, in my opinion, this was by far the most complete game for the UB Bulls men's basketball team for the entire season. They came out strong. They came out fast. Their defense was tremendous. And it continued for the duration of the 40-minute game. It was something to behold. And it showed you the potential that this Buffalo Bulls team had. And part of the reason why people get so furious when they watch this Bulls team play because if they can play at that level on a consistent basis, there is not a team in the MAC conference that can beat them. Now, I talked about how the defense was outstanding for the Bulls in this game. They held the Rockets to just 28 first-half points. 28 first-half points. That's incredible. That is absolutely incredible. They held the Rockets for the entire game to a 38.2% field goal percentage and a 12.5% from three. Think about that. Their defense was so good, it held the Rockets to under 40% from the field and under 13% from threes. It, it, they had they played an absolutely incredible game on defense. That to go with 16 turnovers, they had four blocks and nine steals. My goodness, it was a defensive clinic for the UB Bulls. And if the defense can play like that on a regular basis, there isn't a team in the MAC conference that can compete with them. They they played with so much energy on the defensive side of the ball, and it really turned into a lot of points the opposite way. For the Bulls. Now, like I said, the offense was clicking from the start. It was so much fun to watch the first half of this game. Javon Graves went off in the first half. It was fun to watch. I did tweet it out how awesome it was to watch Javon Graves play, and it looked like he was simply unstoppable in the first half. If you want to follow me and catch any of the tweets that I do tweet out for the Bulls, Sabres, Bills, or anything in terms of sports, you can follow me on Twitter at SportsTalkBuff1. Go ahead and follow me right over there uh, on the the Twitter sphere. I do post things for the Bulls, football, basketball teams, for the Bills, for the Sabres. I have a great time over there talking to people and debating people with a lot of different things. You can direct message me if you follow me, and I'll get right back to you as soon as I possibly can. Again, I absolutely loved watching Javon Graves in this first half. He absolutely killed it. It didn't matter where he shot from, how he shot, when he shot. Everything seemed to go down for the UB Bulls. They ended the game, you know, they were shooting something absurd like 65 to 70%, I think, in the first half. They still ended the game very, very strong. They ended it at 48.6% from the the field and 36.4% from behind the arc. A big thing for the UB Bulls when they win a lot of games is their free throw shooting. They shot 70% in this game, which I know it doesn't sound that great, but for the Bulls, it is a fantastic sign that their guys are starting to knock down their free throws. The Bulls had four players in double digits, led by Javon Graves, who tied a career high with 27 
points. Again, this is the second time this year he's had 27 points. He shot 50% from the three point from behind the three-point arc. He also had three rebounds and five assists in just 29 minutes of play. The Bulls again just dominated on the glass, 11 of which were offensive rebounds. Like I said, complete complete game from start to finish for the UB Bulls. It was tremendous a very tremendous game to watch. A bunch of other players chipped in. As I said, four players in double digits for the UB Bulls. You move on to tonight's game against Ball State, and it was a big game because this propelled the Bulls into fourth place overall in the MAC Conference. Now, it doesn't matter East or West. It's just the top four seeds get that first game by. They go right on to Cleveland in the Mid-American Conference Tournament, and it is a huge, it would be a huge get for the Buffalo Bulls if they could get that fourth or higher in the Mid-American Conference. This game tonight, the win against Ball State, propelled them into the fourth overall spot in the MAC Conference. They now sit 8-5 and five in the Mid-American Conference. For their record, they are 17-9 and nine overall and looking very strong to potentially get yet another 20-win season, which at times didn't look like the Bulls were going to be able to get. They might get 20 wins, 21 wins. That's kind of been their their project their projection or you know their trajectory for most of the season. So if they can hit 20 to 21 wins, I would be very satisfied. Even if they didn't get into the tournament, it would show that coming on a down year for the Bulls, supposedly a down year for the Bulls, that White Soul can still bring in talent and still coach them and that it would make me feel more comfortable going into the future with Weitzel as their head coach. Now, jumping into this game against Ball State, the Bulls did win 72-59. to The thing that held the Bulls in the game in this first half was absolutely and 100% their defense. They held Ball State to just 29 points and went into halftime tied 29-29. Their offense struggled mightily in the first half, and that's putting it lightly. They shot 25% from the field in the first half and just 14% from behind the arc. It was a really, really bad shooting half for the UB Bulls. They got a, they got quite a few good open looks. A lot of the shots that they, a lot of these guys normally hit were not falling down for the Bulls, and it was a completely different story when you switched it into the second half. Now you go into the second half, it was tied 29-29. It was back and forth until the Bulls took a 44-43 to lead and they did not relinquish the lead for the rest of the game. They cruised and a big part of that was their free throw shooting. As I said, their free throw shooting was, or their free throw shooting in this game was very, very solid. They shot 76.2% for the entire game, and it was their free throw shooting in the first half, along with their defense, that really held them in the game when they weren't really getting their shots to fall from the field and from behind the arc. UB again won the battle on the glass, 51-42, to with 19 of those being offensive rebounds. Josh Mbala and the rest of the Bulls crashed the O rebounds, like you wouldn't believe, these guys were ripping them down left and right, getting great second chance opportunities, 
and not disappointing when they were getting their second chance opportunities. Buffalo did a good, good, good job of taking care of the ball in this game. They had just eight turnovers and their defense forced 15 for Ball State. So when the Bulls are able to keep the turnover ratio or the turnovers under about 12, when they keep it to 10 to 12 or less, they look like a completely different team. They look solid. Their passing is great. Their effort was tremendous. Their defense was fantastic. And it was another very, very fun game to watch. Now, again, it didn't start out that way. It started out, the Bulls scored two on Javon Graves, a little jumper from like the elbow the elbow or around like the free, uh, the free throw line, something like that. But then Ball State rattled off 10 straight points and the Bulls were chasing them the entire first half until two big free throws at the end of the first half. It made it 29-29. And then from then on, it was a brand new ball game. The Bulls finished this game with five players in double figures. Three players with 16 points each, Mbala, Graves, and Jonathan Williams. Two players with double-doubles. It would be uh, Javon Graves with 16 points and 10 rebounds. And Josh Mbala, an absolute monster on the glass, again, with 16 points and 15 rebounds. He continues to be a double-double machine, being able to, to score... Not necessarily at will, not somebody like we've seen like a Nick Perkins, but he's just a sophomore, and this kid is an absolute stud on the glass. I cannot begin to imagine where the UB Bulls would be if he did not get the waiver to clear and play this year. They would be in all sorts of trouble. They would be a 10-15 to win team without somebody like a Josh Ambala. So by the good graces of God, and the NCAA, they granted Mbala a waiver to play this year, and it could not have turned out better for the UB Bulls. Now, again, in this game, they had five players hit double figures. I mentioned three of them. The other two were Antoine Johnson and, of course, Devontae Jordan. Uh, Johnson had, I believe, 12 points with a couple of really big threes, and Devontae Jordan had was two rebounds shy of a third player getting a double-double. He had 10 points and 8 rebounds. Overall, the the guys who you needed to step up in this game stepped up and stepped up big. Jonathan Williams had just 6 points in the first half. He had 10 points in the second half, including a lot of very good dry, dribble drives into the lane, getting a lot of uh, easy buckets. And really, he really utilizes his wingspan. He has an 85-inch wingspan when he puts his arms out, it's incre- his incredible wingspan. So he's able to kind of get around defenders with those long arms, even if his body is not getting around defenders and able to put in layups. It is, like I said, it's something tremendous to watch for the UB Bulls. And I'm so glad, I mentioned this on, again on Twitter, I am so glad that Jonathan Williams, Rondo Segu, and a lot of these other guys decided to stay at UB when Nate Oates left. It is a huge boost for the the UB Bulls, and I think that next year, and I don't think I know, next year, Javon Graves, Jonathan Williams, and Rondo Segu are going to be integral parts of UB's success moving forward. Now, if they continue to recruit well, which they seem like they have, they have a couple of high three-star recruits coming in, and if they can get their other guy that they just offered, an even higher three-star recruit coming in, almost a four-star recruit, 
The Bulls are going to be in absolutely great shape, as I said. Javon Graves is going to come back. He's going to be a senior. Jonathan Williams and Rondo Segu are, are both coming back. They're going to be juniors. You're going to have Josh Mbala, who's going to be a junior. And you're going to have a couple of other guys coming in to the fold. Laquell Hardnett will still be here, things like that. And this team is set up for long-term success. Again, if they can continue to recruit well, and they seem like they have done a very, very solid job recruiting, the, the Bulls are... are going to be a very tough team to beat in the Mid-American Conference for the foreseeable future. The Bulls' defense and offense seem to be ramping up going into the MAC Conference play, and that is a scary thing for the other teams in the MAC Conference. The Bulls are going to be looking, when they get to the MAC Tournament, to be the first team ever in the Mid-American Conference to win it three straight times. Now they've won four of the last five, which is also a Mac record, but they want to get that three straight NCAA appearances that can only, it does nothing but help them build towards the future. And I cannot wait every single game. I cannot wait for the next game. These guys are so much fun to watch. If you haven't checked them out, I'm going to tell you right now, if you've stuck around to this point in the podcast, check them out. Super fun to watch. Tickets are not that expensive. Go there and support them. The food is good. The food's not that expensive. You're not going to get gouged like you do at Sabres games and Bills games. The food is reasonable. Park right on campus for free. You might have to walk a block or two, but that's fine. You park right on campus for free, and you get treated to a really good college basketball team. Let's go out and support these guys. They have done a tremendous job over the past five to ten or five to eight years have the UB Bulls and this uh, entire school and say uh, this entire program at six at sustaining success and like I said it is just absolutely fun to watch the Bulls are now 17 and 9 overall and 8 and 5 in the MAC as I stated before they are now fourth overall in the MAC conference with a game against Kent State coming up and that is the team that they're battling for the fourth place in the MAC conference against. They play on Friday night at Kent State. The game is on ESPN2. You're not going to want to miss it. It has huge implications for both teams and the MAC conference as a whole. It's going to be a really fun game to watch, and I simply cannot wait. That's going to do it for this episode of Sports Talk Buffalo. Thank you guys for listening. Remember, if you like what you're hearing, tell your friends, tell your family. Let them know they can uh, hit me up at yahoo.com or at sports talk buffalo at yahoo.com that they can hit me up on twitter at sports talk buff one they can leave a voice message right on the anchor website and i can hear them directly and i can even put them in the show again thank you for listening and have a good week